Today, we are going to give our final installment of I Have an Announcement, the good news then as the good news now. For those of you who may be joining us, over the last several weeks, we've been asking the question, what the heck is the gospel? What is the good news? And we've been trying to go back through history and been trying to go back through biblical studies and some language and some context and trying to dig up what does that really mean? Because in modern conversation, religious circles, and evangelicalism and Christianity today, there's been a lot of talk about what does Christianity actually stand for? What is evangelicalism? And it's been a part of our popular conversation recently. And so we wanted to take some time to go back through and ask some historical questions, some deep questions, some biblical questions, and try to get at the original uh, meaning of what the gospel, the good news, is. So if you've missed any of those talks, we'd of course encourage you to go back and take a listen to those on the podcast, uh, on the SparkCast, um, to help you understand a little bit of where we've come from. Because today what we're going to do is share some stories and two specific couples who are very near and dear to our hearts are going to be sharing on the good news every day and what that good news, what, uh, what does that look like in their lives every day. So you're going to be hearing first from Stacy and Mark Arevalo, and then you'll be hearing from Marcus and Kendra Randolph. And I'm super excited about this because this is now the Spark community sharing in not just a teaching, but in testimony and letting you all know and letting uh, to witness to God and to God's community, what does this good news actually look like today? So to get us started, everybody, please give Stacy and Mark Arevalo a big warm welcome and round of applause. Hello, everybody. Nice to see you. Um, Kevin asked us to speak about some of the things that are going on in our lives outside of the Spark Church context, uh, context even though this is also a very important part of our life. Um, we do have day jobs. I'm a teacher, and Mark works at Yahoo. <laughs> <laughs> I've worked at Yahoo since uh, people would say, oh, you work at Yahoo? To, oh, you work at Yahoo? So, a while. Um, so we wanted to share just a bit about how we see the good news working in our lives. Um, so I became a teacher. I decided to become a teacher in college. And it was around the same time that I was learning about issues of justice that I also got back in touch with my faith. So for me, those two things go very closely together, and they're inextricable. Um, and so my reason for teaching English in particular, it's um, the reading that we do in writing. I see it as tools to give my students um, a better view of their own lives and the world around them. Um, and then I also um, see it as kingdom work because all students have to go to school. So if they are required to be in my class, I get lots of touch points to speak into their lives and hopefully call out some things that I see that God's doing in their lives that they may not yet see. Um, so fast forward, I've been at my school for about 10 years, and I really have been able to see how God works in students' lives, whether or not I'm involved, which is such a relief because it can be such a burden for those of us who have been in caretaking kind of positions just to feel like, oh, there's so much that I could be doing or so much more places where um, I could be working harder. Um, but I've been able to see God working in the long term in students' lives, whether it's under my care or not. Um, but there are always a few students every year who I feel like God puts in my life, and I have the privilege of walking with them. Um, so this particular story starts uh, this time last year. A couple Sparkers and I went to a conference called the Gay Christian Network Conference. And it was important for me to go because I'm both a Christian and I work with youth who are asking really important questions about their identity. And they're asking questions like, is there a God and who is God to me? And they're also asking questions about their own sexual identity. And so I frequently work with students who kind of have a mix 
six of these questions. And it just so happened that within two weeks of returning home from the conference last year, three of my students came out to me. One came out to me because he wanted to share with our class and felt like it was a comfortable place to do so. Um, another one needed some advice because he was having a difficult time with some of his classmates' responses to his coming out. And then a third student happened to email me about some friend issue and just kind of mentioned that she was gay in the middle of it. And I was like, I think she just came out to me. And then she came up to me a week later and was like, oh, did you notice I came out to you? I said, yes, I realized that. Um, and so we were talking a bit, and I let her know. Um, actually, so something that these three students had in common was that they all have very religious parents, and they all felt some fear or disconnect or a fear of not being accepted by their parents and not being quite sure what to do with all of those different aspects of their lives. And so um, I was able to share some of what I had learned at the Gay Christian Network Conference, and then I actually invited those three students to our Spark discussion on human sexuality in the Bible last May. So that was his first introduction to Spark, and then through the summer we kept in touch even when I was abroad. She's in my class this year as a senior, which was super exciting. And then with the fear around the election coming, um, we were talking more, much more frequently. Um, she is a woman, young woman. She's gay. She's Mexican-American, and her parents are undocumented. So a lot of the fears that a lot of us um, have had affect her directly. Um, so we were texting the whole night of the election. We talked the day afterwards, continue to talk. I thought it would be a good time to invite her back to Spark. So she came. She cried during Pastor Daniel's message. She came the next week to hear Pastor Mark's. And then the next week, during the school day, just a regular tutorial, she came up to my desk like she normally would for homework help. And she's kind of sheepishly standing by my desk. I'm like, what is it? Uh, I have some papers to grade here. She's like, uh, I have a question. I'm not sure if I can ask you. I'm like, of course you can ask me. She's like, I kind of want to know more about God. And here we are in my classroom. There's like 25 students around me. And I'm, I'm an open Christian at school, but it's still weird for me to talk about God in that context. So I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we can talk about it later. So I like emailed her, like, listen to these sermons or here's some books. And then I told Mark, and he was like, why don't you just invite her over and we can figure out what's going on? Because I'm trying to figure out, like, what does she want to know? How do we tell her? I don't want to push stuff on her. So we had her over to our house. Um, so here's and Mark in our living room, um, and I was really nervous. I didn't want to feel like I was indoctrinating her in any way because, again, I am her teacher, authority figure, all of that. So I let Mark do a lot of the talking. But one of the first questions that we asked her was, why do you have this question now? Like, why has this come up in your life? And she shared with us that when she was sitting in this room on the Sunday after the election, that as she was listening to Pastor Danielle speak and the other speakers, that she just felt this incredible sense of peace come over her that was overwhelming and that it hadn't left her in the weeks after that time. And then for me, I also felt a sense of peace because it wasn't just, oh, here's some good ideas that I feel like everyone should believe in, but she had a real encounter with a God who loves her and a God who's in control. And so we've been walking with her um, through this. Um, Mark had a good discussion with her that night, kind of just introducing her to the Bible, not overwhelming her, letting her ask a lot of questions. It was right before Christmas, so we loaned her our copy of the What's in the Bible DVD for the Christmas edition. And then I got this snap during finals week when she should have been studying. 11.54 p.m., and she's in her bedroom watching the What's in the Christmas Oh, what's the meaning of Christmas? What's in the Bible DVD? Um, and she's learning that Christmas stands for Christ's Mass. Um, so over winter break, she actually shared with me that she bought a Bible for herself. And then just a couple weeks ago, she, snapped, she sent me a snap on a Saturday night. She's a high school senior, remember. And this is the snap. She had opened up the Bible. She was at Pete's Coffee in downtown Palo Alto. And on the front, it says her name presented to 
by myself. On the occasion of, and instead of saying a baptism or confirmation, she wrote needing God, and then the date. And she added that this was something that she was getting around to and um, wanting to look again for peace in the word of God. And so we've met up a couple of times. She's continued to come to church when she can, when she's not scheduled to work. And just um, we're walking with her through that. And again, not with this like end goal in mind, but really having built this relationship. Um, and I guess I was someone that she felt comfortable coming to talk to and being able to ask those questions about. And so I'd like to thank you guys for being a church where she feels welcomed, where she can hear the good news, um, and where it's something that's very much interwoven in our daily lives. So uh, my experience is not quite the same. I've been working in tech for a very long time, except for a six-year hiatus when I was in vocational ministry permanently. And uh, during that time, when I was at Yahoo the first time, I was starting to learn what it meant to be a Christian. What, what, how could I talk about my faith in a way that was acceptable? Because, as you know, at many places, faith and politics are topics you try to avoid because they can get contentious. During that time, I found myself eventually... Not, not by any work of my own, it was all God, I found myself in an office with three other Christians, and they were all Taiwanese, and they all insisted on praying during lunch hour, and they insisted that I lead them. So it didn't matter what was happening in my own schedule, I would have to make space for them so we could all pray together. And so after leaving Yahoo and uh, a six-year hiatus, I came back, and my intention was specifically just to work, just to make money, to get to know people, great, wonderful. But I'm just there to pay my bills. And so as I was there, I was talking to my boss, and my boss heard that I was a pastor. So she started asking me questions. And soon our one-on-ones turned into uh, a little bit of a theology session. She had asked me about how was work going. That's great. Okay, let me tell you about what's going on with me. And as she says now, uh, she calls me her pastor, which is very strange when you're talking to your boss. But uh, that continued, and uh, soon after, I was talking to another friend, who, uh, co-worker, who found out that I was also a pastor, and uh, she was going through a divorce. She had just found out her husband was cheating on her, and she wanted to know what were the right steps. What should she do as a Christian? Was it okay to get divorced? And so I walked with her through that and all of her pains and her struggles. She had children. She was, she's a, an immigrant, so she's not quite sure about her status. So we had a lot of discussions over that time, and I figured... Well, we're all here together. The three of us, at least the three of us are here together. Why don't we just get together and pray? So we started having uh, prayer sessions once a week on Tuesdays during lunch. And we thought about bringing in other people, and we tried, but they were very, very uncomfortable with their status. Um, My boss being a relatively new Christian and uh, my coworker not wanting to share too much about our own life with other coworkers. So... We kind of maintained that, and that was pretty much it for a while. And I said, okay, God, that's what you want to happen, and that's wonderful. Uh, I had a friend, an old friend from our old church, uh, Roy Tinklenberg, who has been running a program where he tries to get Bible studies in individual companies connected so they would meet together. So he's got connections at Google and at Facebook and at Apple and some other places, and he tries to bring those fellowships that are existing in those groups together once a month. And so he said, hey, could you bring your friends? I mean, I heard that you have like eight or nine people. I, uh, there's only two of us, really. And, you know, one of us shows up sometimes. So he said, well, you know, when that happens, we can, we can do something. So I said, okay, God, whatever you want to do. And then I had an old coworker who I've known for 13 years who has an interesting background. He's from the Swedenborgian church, which is uh, a lot like, I guess, Christian scientist churches. 
and uh, he's dabbled in Buddhism, he's dabbled in a whole bunch of things, and he's always seeking and always looking for what else is there out there for me. And uh, now he has a, a wife and a child, and he's more concerned about how can he best serve his family, and how can he be, make his son uh, a good citizen? How can he be a part of his community? And so he said, you know, a long time ago we talked about having a group where we would figure out how the people in our group worked together. Because our group is a little odd. We have a lot of diversity, not only uh, ethnically, but also socioeconomically and um, in terms of background, uh, educational background. We have people with PhDs in physics working next to people with uh, high school equivalency exams. So it's a big mix in a big range of people, and we all seem to get, to, get, uh, to get together and work well together. So we decided to bring them together, and so we said, hey, we're going to have this meeting. We're going to call it the philosophy meeting. And if you'd like to come and talk about what you think about the world and how you experience it, please come and join us. There will be no evangelism. There will be no sharing. There will be no criticism. There will be no pointing of fingers, because that does happen even in small groups in Christian communities. So... We got them all together. There was about four of us to start off. And the simple question was, who are we? And every week we've gone from there. Now we have a group of about 13 or 15 people. Uh, some, of us are, some of them are joining us remotely from Milwaukee and uh, L.A. and other places. And we, we meet on Thursdays uh, around 1 o'clock, and we talk about particular topics. So last week's topic was home. What is home? How have, has your hometown affected you? And we have people from Poland and people from... Uh, upstate New York, uh, rural upstate New York, and people from Nova Scotia, and people from all these different places, and they were talking about their ideas of home and how they feel unrooted. Being here in the Silicon Valley, where life is very different from their uh, upbringing, how do they find a place where they can feel home? And their ideas were coming out, and I'm realizing, I didn't do any of this. This was all God saying, hey, here's an opportunity, I'd like you to step into it. And it never was me trying to do anything. And still, even now, it's not me doing anything. It's constantly them bringing up ideas about things that they're struggling with on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. Things about work and family and home and all these different things that are coming up constantly. And we get a chance to talk about it. And so, if the gospel is just having someone accept Christ as their Lord and Savior, then I'm not doing a very good job of presenting that. But if the gospel is more than that, if the gospel is telling them that God wants not just their soul, but their life. And giving them an opportunity to talk about it and feel loved, no matter where they might be and no matter what they might believe. I think our group is doing an okay job. So I'm thankful to God for that opportunity, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to talk to you guys. Thank you very much. That's awesome. I have an announcement. Um, actually, members of the people who I'm going to talk about, this, this, these are an amazing group of young women. They just placed fifth in the country last week, and they outdid themselves. And they're all like right there at that table, so please give them a hand. It's the Menlo College women's wrestling team, and uh, it's uh, we'll, and I'll be, you're gonna basically hear the story of how that all kind of came to well, not really them wrestling, how that came to be, because they're just an amazing group of young women that I get the privilege of of really just kind of pastoring and, well, I don't even know, coaching every day, managing, I don't know. Basically, they, they just kind of pull in my heartstrings every day, and I just ask God not to fall apart. Um, but other than that, um, yeah, uh, but you'll see a quick little video of kind of how I feel God brought me there. So, yeah.
seeing Coach Moraine's vision and what he was trying to do just to improve every year and to see what the girls uh, have done and what we're capable of doing. It, it, it's an amazing thing. So I really, why do I want to coach here? I, I love coaching women and, and plus I feel it's a call. I really do feel it's a divine call from God to, especially with this particular group of young women over the last couple of years. So Even better. this is a group of young women who placed fifth in the country and I got to be a part of that. And that story probably started, what year is it, 2017? It started about five years ago, or actually six years ago. And I worked at a great church, wonderful group of people, had a wonderful boss. I mean, it just, like, life couldn't go better. And then one day, we get this email and a call saying, we have to be in this conference room. And then proceeded to hear that the leader of our church at that time um, some things happened and we, it was a fall and, and, and things changed. And then it felt like every nine months we were brought in that conference room for some reason, whether it was a layoff, someone else was leaving because of some type of moral failure. It was just like, I work at a church. Okay. This is great. Oh man. And you know, you ever like work someplace where you think it's supposed to be great and it actually is great, but like, it's not great at the same time. <laughs> and, and, and it felt like every two years or every nine months something was happening. And it finally culminated with me being laid, uh, laid off. But my original, um, one of my original bosses there allowed me to coach. And I had coached my old high school. And I thought that was great. And, and it's a real difference when you uh, are in youth ministry, which is really great and awesome. But when you coach, like kids want to be there. So it's not like kids saying, like parents dropping their kids off. I'm like, hey, fix my kid. Tell them about Jesus. You know, this was, okay, we're here for a rest, reason. We're here to wrestle. And it just kind of kept going. So uh, as a result of that layoff, I ended up coaching at my uh, alma mater in college, Menlo College, and I was coaching them in. And when, you're, when you get laid off from what you think you're called to do, it, it feels devastating. But I'm like, okay, now I'm coaching. And it was medicating me, but while I was coaching with the men at the time, I still felt out of place and because my role wasn't defined. And the head coach at the time had asked me to drive the young women up to a tournament in Reading. And I, I should have known right then and there that God was speaking to me because, like, the whole entire time they were, like, it's not, it's not like men will say women, they get to weigh in the day before, but they, they're chatty. And so they're talking the whole entire time on the way up. I'm used to these quiet Van rides where guys are stoic, like, yeah, we're not saying nothing. Kill them all. And they're like, hey, you're looking at this. I'll be like, oh, oh, wait, this is so new for me. Like, why are they talking, you know? And they're, and they're happy, you know? And it was just, it was a trip because, you know, if you've ever been in a combat sport, or at least from the male point of view, kill her all the time. Like, I had to kill everybody, you know? Not, we know the Bible says don't kill, but, you know, hey. But it was, you know, you got to think competitive, hyper-competitive mode. And, um... I was supposed to go there, drive them up there, and go coach uh, the men because the men were at there at the same time. I ended up coaching the women all day. A month later, I ended up at their national tournament. And at that national tournament, I saw the team get better, and I don't even know how I got hooked in, but I ended up a woman's coach. And it has been a wonderful, wonderful journey. I, I can't tell you how much God has allowed us or that the good news to to just, you know, flow every day. And, and it doesn't happen unless I get laid off. It doesn't happen unless I go through this really bad situation 
doing what I thought. I, I mean, I still would look, I still like youth ministry. I, was, I don't want to volunteer for a job yet. Because <laughs> I know what's going to happen. I'll say something next thing you know. Pastor Marcus, no, 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 not that, not ready for that yet. But, <laughs> but, um, but out of that, out of that, there came a situation where I got to see young people who were in my youth group. So one of the young women, Melanie Cordero, she's there. Um, I coached her at her high school, at my old high school. Somehow she ends up on our college team. There's, then there's Yvonne, who I can't believe I get the privilege of coaching every day. And she went to Abundant Life. And I remember her when she was like 10 or 11. And not much has changed. She was like this little loud girl who's running around with a whole bunch of energy. Now she's a, a little loud, no, actually a large loud woman with a whole bunch of energy and every morning. It's, it's just amazing. I'm like, wow, you're like no coffee or nothing. Just get up and go. Just, <laughs> just don't bounce off the walls like that, huh? You know, just, and it's great because she's on our team, although she went to another team at, at first. And to see how it kind of all comes around and to watch their relationship with, with God grows. There's a young woman named Bianca who's a two-time All-American for us. And to see her, her relationship with God just take off in this last year. It's just amazing because if I don't get laid off, if I'm not, if I'm not depressed, if I don't feel like my worth wasn't wrapped up in vocational ministry or job, I don't get to see her grow. I get to see uh, a young woman from Hawaii, Brandy, who is just a ball of energy and like I think my wife's favorite. I, I don't know. Sometimes I don't know. Don't no. Don't say that. Okay, fine. I, You're all my favorite. I just know one day she came home and was like, "I love Brandy." I was like, "Wait, what?" You know, like. Somehow my wife has, like, relationships with these young women. And then there's this young woman, Christy, who, who really just kind of fell in our lap, who's incredibly talented. And I absolutely, like, love her family. I don't know why. Like, they connect with my, like, her dad, her mom, her little sister. I, I have, I can't explain it. But I do know that it's, it's God working within me and, and allowing me to, a lot of times we don't recognize that where, where God places us, the good news sometimes isn't hurry up and get saved. Sometimes it's, God, let me enjoy your creation. Let me enjoy how you created this person. Let me enjoy the creation of, of where they're at with who they are. And, and, and so it's, it's an amazing thing to enjoy what God is already doing with these young women. And to see it happen with my favorite sport and to see it happen with young women that, that and there I, I can't tell you the adversity that they face as as women wrestlers as as just young women in general and to walk and be a part of that the gospel is is watching god even form new pathways and and um make his way in what seems like an incredibly difficult situation and how does jesus wrap up into it again i get questions about god or watching them all the time have their different questions about Jesus or, um, oh, I am an old preacher. So they, they will, young women will tell you that I probably talk at them a lot. Uh, <laughs> uh, many sermons in the car or whatever. Uh, they have their questions. And you don't have to work at a church or, or be in vocational ministry to be an agent of the gospel because that's a message that happens every day. And when the circumstances get incredibly difficult, when they get like, when they don't seem ideal, I, 
I find that that's when it seems like God gets his loudest. And that's when the good news of who Jesus is in our own lives, and we get to see the kingdom of heaven at hand all the time, just gets a little bit more amplified. So when we have situations like a a tumultuous political climate, when we have situations where there's a job loss or financial instability or infertility or all these things that that don't fit ideals, um, I find that the gospel or the message of Jesus speaks that much louder. And I get to see a group of young women overperform. And just to let you guys know, Lord willing, next year around this time or two years around this time, you'll be talking to a team that's won a national championship. And the reason why I know it's gotta be a God thing is because our school is the most expensive. We're limited in majors. There's no way that we should be able to be a top five team in the country. We don't attract top talent. And yet these young women overperform all the time. I, I don't know what happens, but I just know that there's a God in heaven who's blessed us with incredibly gifted young women. And I get to share, well, actually, Jesus just allows me to be a part of their lives. And I get to be a part of how God is creating and shaping them every day. So, um, so all that stuff that Marcus described, the, the bad things that were happening, um, uh, when, when a series of bad things is happening to you, um, be encouraged. Uh, you're not forgotten. God has not forgotten you. Uh, you are a part of his plan, and, um, and it will all come out into something that will make sense to you at some point. Maybe it won't make sense in two months or two years or two decades, but it will make sense. And while he was going through, um, uh, I mean, those of us who have been or know someone who's been laid off, you know that there's a, a decline in, I'd say, the general respect level that the employer seems to have for the person who gets laid off. And this being my best friend and my husband, you know what it's like to watch somebody close to you go through that, and it's awful. And I had worked at the same place, so I knew all those people that he was, um, that he was dealing with on a daily basis, and it was very frustrating to me. So to hear him now say that he loves what he does, and technically, this is a part-time job, wrestling coaching, ha! but technically it is. Um, to hear him say that he loves what he does blesses me. I thank God for it. And also, um, I am also allowed uh, entree into these student-athletes' lives because he sees them five days a week, six days a week, sometimes seven, depending on what part of the season it is. And so I try to go and be a part of it as much as I can, too. I was a college soccer player, didn't know anything about wrestling. I like to pretend I do. But I love now um, being able to be in their lives and um, and being with them every day. I mean, like, I'm not literally with them every day, but he, Marcus prays for them every day. Like, in his prayer life, he, he prays every day anyway, but he prays for them all uh, by name um, every morning. And that discipline is something that, that they benefit from, but I benefit from that also. Um, and so, but being able to be a part of their lives every day means that there's no rush to... Um, lead them to Christ. There's no rush to let's do this. Let's do the Romans road talk and then walk you through. Okay, here's what you need to do. A, B, C, check this box, check this box. Okay, you're good. Great. 
um, because I struggle too. I'm, I'm confused by things. You know, the Bible is confusing to me. Um, so I'm grateful that spending time with them means that I get to talk to them about things that are important to them. They're undergrads. They're, you know, when you're an undergrad, your life can be very focused. And so I'd rather engage with them in what's interesting to them um, rather than put, you know, putting something upon them. And being able to do that, it's a privilege to get questions about romantic relationships, and it's a privilege to get questions about school from them. And, and so I'm thankful that there's no rush for me to know how to explain this is the gospel in three sentences because um, it can't be explained that way. And um, so, yeah. so thank you. And so um, you see a couple of the action shots of the girls getting after it. And by the way, I'm going to plug it. If you have a young woman, she got energy. She don't have energy. She probably should wrestle. Yes, you should. <laughs> um, it's, um, it's just a great activity yeah. for uh, each one, and we just get to wrap it up. But there's a little piece of a video that kind of gets our philosophy all wrapped up. But it's just a, I, I have a, I get to wake up every day and do what I love with a group of young women who are just awesome. And I hope that wherever God places you, you get that same opportunity to bring the kingdom into someone's life. And so I think we'll just wrap it up with a little video and let PK, take it. We want you to have that, uh, that education, lifelong relationships. You know, ideally, we want these young women to to be bridesmaids at each other's weddings, to to like be each other, like if they have children, to be each other's godparents and stuff like that. To really, again, extend family, and so that they're really great, like they're just an extension of family, and, and that their children see, oh wow, that that wrestles this great family environment, and that. Again, a continuation of what's probably already been built in by family. So to the team, we're so glad you're here. We are so proud of what you have accomplished. So thank you for coming and representing. Uh, and thank you for being allowed to share your story for being here. My friends, in our world today, as it has been for thousands of years, our world today is full of challenges um, that need addressing. There exists injustices in the forms of racism and slavery, misogyny, wealth disparity, political corruption, disregard for God's creation, and a host of other isms and phobias that threaten God's beautiful creation and God's wonderful image in us and our fellow human beings. And I know I'm talking to many who actually long to do something about this something big, something profound, something significant in this world, and to know that this one life that we have was leveraged for making a substantive difference in this world. However, the size and the scope of these problems creates an additional problem that many of us are all too familiar with, which is the wide chasm between the challenges of this world and the work that needs to be done and our felt capacity to actually make a difference. What can we really do? It is easy to feel overwhelmed with the daunting task of, quote, millions, whether that's refugees or prisoners or the enslaved or the poor. But this is where the gospel speaks deeply and profoundly. The gospel is not the declaration that, I'm here to eliminate all the evils of the entire world. Why? Because back in Genesis, God actually did that with a flood. 
And he promised never to destroy that earth, this earth, that way again. No, this gospel is profound because it speaks of how to conquer these evils, not by power over the world, but by love over a meal. Not in power, but in conversation. Not in staunch declaration, but in relationship. The gospel works because it works in everyday life, with everyday people, in everyday situations and circumstances, every single day. And this is why I'm so grateful to Mark and Stacy and Kendra and Marcus for sharing. For not only are they exemplars of what it means to be ambassadors of the good news, they highlight the fact that out here, in our congregation, in this community, the gospel is alive and well. It is alive in a hospital volunteer who sits with the dying to provide comfort, community, and dignity in a patient's last breaths. It's alive in a colleague who discusses faith, science, and deep philosophical questions without condemnation, but with true humility, curiosity, and welcome to the exposure of deeper truths. It's alive in a doctor who volunteers his time to meet the medical needs of those who are most needy, to bring care to their bodies and hope to their souls. It is alive in a high schooler who travels halfway around the world to be with refugees, to clothe them, to feed them, and to be a student of the real crisis and of real solutions. It is alive in many of us who have thought deeply and wrestled sincerely about sexual identity and the Bible and have come to embrace love and acceptance towards our gay brothers and sisters among us with full welcome, participation, and inclusion. It's alive in the nonprofit employees and board members of this congregation who give leadership development, spiritual discipleship, and hope and a future to those who are under-resourced in East Palo Alto. It is alive in a financial advisor who sits with his clients to be the presence of empathy and hope in a troubled and disturbing world. It is alive in a volunteer who gives a weekend to spend playing wild games with teenagers at camp. It is alive in the women and the men and the children and the families who marched for the dignity of our nation and the greatness of our church. It is alive in a coach who finds a calling in wrestling, a high-tech employee who also pastors his co-workers, a teacher who holds the spiritual and emotional space of her student with unconditional, all-embracing, gracious love and acceptance, and it is alive. And the dozens of parents that we have in this congregation who are not only fulfilling the first commandment to be fruitful and multiply, but who are also seeking a more just and safe world, a more open and loving and meaningful spiritual faith expression in and for their children. We will all be benefactors of your parenting of these children in the next 25 to 30 years. And then, of course, it is alive in dozens of more examples that I have not named. And it is here that we see the great miracle of the gospel, not just that God has become human, but that humans, in their frailty and inadequacy, actually do imitate the full greatness of God as found in the person of Jesus. When we speak of God as awesome, 
We are totally right in worshiping the divine in that way. But if we're honest and sincere, our greatest sense of awe and wonder comes when we see people like us who live in powerful and self-sacrificing ways, which advocate and advance the causes of common humanity, of justice, of love, of compassion, and what Abraham Lincoln called the better angels of our nature. You see, the great disruption and scandal of the gospel is not that God is exceptional, but that God is actually ordinary. Tax collectors and sinners at a dining room table. Jesus weeping for the loss of a loved one. The caring for a religious custodian whose daughter just died. Wisdom and understanding for how to pay taxes to Caesar in a way that honors God. Healing extended to a woman with a bleeding disease that leaves her ostracized from her community. Forgiveness and grace to another woman caught in what is most likely an unjust indiscretion. And purpose, meaning, direction, and calling to a fisherman just trying to find his identity. These are not high theologies. These are everyday struggles of everyday people real issues needing real answers, and the gospel pursued their souls, embraced their hearts, and loved them deeply into God's kingdom, and transformed them into agents of a revolution, the effects of which we are still feeling today. For those of us who grew up in the church, there was this song that many of us sang which goes, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. And I want to let you know that Spark Church proudly and loudly and confidently proclaims, Jesus is the answer. But it's not in this mid-1990s campfire kumbaya kind of way that if only we can get everybody saved and have this spiritual experience, then we all go to heaven when we die. No. Jesus is the answer because these people, followers of Jesus actually behaved like Jesus. Jesus is the answer because you and I commit ourselves to becoming representatives of the person of Jesus as honestly as we can. With all the flaws and shortcomings of our humanity, we are embodying in ourselves, individually and communally, a miracle. And that miracle is the love, compassion, mercy, and justice of God in flesh. In our Bible, there's a letter that was written to a group of Jesus followers in a place called Ephesus, in a region called Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And in this letter, the author writes this. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, and how high, and how deep is this love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This is the gospel every day. 
It is my hope and my prayer that this series that we've gone through, the teachings and these stories and these testimonies, and the hundreds of others that should be told around your tables, will spark within us the knowledge of that love, the practice of that love, the expansive inclusiveness of that love, and the transformational power of that love. And for those of you who are not followers of Jesus, not only are we so glad that you are here and you join us and you grace us with your presence, I hope that this way of living woos you, that something about it compels you to consider deeply this person named Jesus of Nazareth and how living in this way could transform us in the world once again. Now, I know this is going to be difficult for many of us, because for many of us, we are still healing and deconstructing the old reputation of God in our past experience by people who claim to be followers of Jesus, but really were only representatives of their own denomination, their own sect, their own interpretation of the Bible, or their own nationalistic expression of faith. But I also know that this love covers a multitude of sins, And that perfect love can cast out all fear. That this love can be light and can awaken us to seeing, believing, and practicing life and faith in the way of Jesus. So, my friends, I encourage you, let us be the good news to everyone we meet. May we extend respect to those who live in animosity. May we open our hearts to those who have had doors closed upon them. May we pray for those who are your real or even ideological enemies. (laughs) May we give up a comfort to bring dignity and shelter and food to those around us in need. And in the midst of the big challenges of this world, and they are big, may we never underestimate the power of this gospel every day, as exemplified in these stories. My friends, may you love God and be loved by him. May you love yourself and extend to your own heart the grace that God has given you. And may you, as one who has been embraced by that love, behave in accordance with that love in your everyday life. Whether it is raising children, whether it is doing tests in a lab, whether it is running an after-school program or teaching a class, sitting in a cubicle, or sitting around a table. My friends, that is what we believe is the gospel. And we believe it is not only good news then, but it is also good news today. 